So it's uh, nice to see you back. There's some new faces from last night. Um, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the actual, like I call them mechanics of healing. In other words, how does it work? And so we're going to look at the fact that we're spirit beings. We're going to look at the law of the spirit. And then we're going to, this afternoon, probably after lunch, I'd like to show us how to release the power. So I'm going to convince you that you can uh, be a healing minister, every one of you. I'm going to show you how to receive for yourselves, and then I'm going to show you how to minister healing to others, because there is a difference. Now, we got a, a pile of questions written last night, and I just went through them when we got home. And people are saying, why is it harder to get healing for yourself than it is to get healing for others? Many times you just lay hands on other people, pray for them, and healing happens. So um, hopefully that will be answered today. And also how to appropriate healing for yourself. So let's get into it. Um, I'm going to pray just to get us kicked off. So Father, we thank you for your word, your word of life, your word of power. You are the word, Lord Jesus. And that as we absorb your word, we absorb in you. Your word is spirit. It's life. We've been filled with the Spirit by your word. So we thank you, Father, that today we can yield, we can receive, that the eyes of our understanding are opened, that we have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And, Father, that today we can know the mighty power of God that is in and for us who believe. Father, I pray for words. I pray for the leading, the guidance of the Spirit, for each of us, Lord, in fact, to be full of and controlled by your Spirit today. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for your presence. Thank you, Lord. Right, so I want to start. We made a statement um, yesterday, and that is healing is spiritual. Right, so we're going to look at healing as, as, as being spiritual, and we're going to look at ourselves as being spiritual. Because so many of us, through the busyness of life and through the, the bombardment of information and you know, the, the demands that are made on us, lose sight of the fact that we are spirit beings. So today we must just allow the word to address us and maybe correct imbalances because we're told by the, by the Lord in Colossians 3 and it's verse 2, it says, set your minds on the things that are above. And the things that are above are eternal. They're not subject to change. It's the higher law. So we're going to look at that. So let's go to Romans. Um, we're not going to be putting scriptures up. So you'll just have to follow in your Bibles, which is better anyway. We're going to Romans 8. Verse, we'll read from verse 1, but it's verse 2 that I'm actually after. I can just smell tea. It's very tempting. <laughs> I'll have, I have to stop for sips. So I have to get you looking up things and then I'll stop for sips. So it says here, look at Romans 8 verse 1. It says, there is now no condemnation. And in brackets, this is the Amplified Bible. So it's got expanded translation. So they'll bring out different aspects of the words because the Greek language is amazing. There's words uh, in, 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 um, in, in the Greek language that there are no equivalents in the English language. So, for instance, we might say God is love, and we just say love, or, and a man loves a woman, and a, and a mother loves her children, and we just use the same word. But for God, that's all different. In Greek, sorry, should I say that's all different words. God is love. It's the word agape, as against uh, a man loves a woman. That can be eros love. Or um, if you and then if you love your friends, uh, that's phileo love. So there's different words in Greek. So that's why I like the the Romans. I mean the um, the Amplified. You, you just get a understanding of different aspects of words that are used. So it says here, there's no condemnation, no adjudging guilty of wrong for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay. Then in italics, meaning it wasn't in the original text, it says who live and walk after, not the flesh, but after the dictates of the Spirit. Now, this is the one. 
that I want you to read. It says, the law of the spirit of life, which is in Christ Jesus, the law of our new being, of, of, of our, our born-again state, it says, has freed me from the law of sin and of death. So the law of the spirit has freed us from the law of sin and death. Now that's very important because we are spirit beings. We live in the world. So we, we have a body, we have a soul, that's the intellect part of us, our, our mind. Uh, so it's what we think, I think. It's our emotions, I feel, and it's our will. You know, I want, I will. That's the soulish area. That's the area that is, is not born again. That's the area that's transformed by the power of God. And if you read in Matthew 16, 24, for instance, Jesus talks about how you have to lose the lower life to gain the higher life. So he's talking, and you, know, you have to lose your life to gain your life. Some translations say, you say, what is this about? What does that mean? It's talking about the fact that our lower life and the wisdom of the world and the the wisdom of our education and the wisdom of our experience and the wisdom of maybe our background, where we were born, yeah, etc., where we were raised, where we went to school, all that wisdom, you've got to lose that to gain the higher wisdom, which is the law of the spirit of life, and that's the wisdom of God, the revelations of God. So it says here, the law of the spirit of life, that's the law of our new being, has freed us from the law of sin and death. So the wisdom of God is spirit. And, and the law of, uh, that we want, the law of life, is spirit. And it's in spirit that we have our freedom, we have our blessings, we have our um, ability to move beyond what is contained just in the natural. Um, so it says, the law of sin and death, we freed from that. Now, if you think of it this way, uh, for maybe thousands of years, man was bound by the law of gravity. So that meant that you had to ride a horse or you had to take a boat or um, to get around, or a wagon and an ox cart or whatever. You, you were bound to gravity, and man could step out a building saying, I can fly, I can fly. But gravity would just pull them down, and many people did die trying to fly. They couldn't. They could see the birds could fly, but they couldn't fly. And that was just for thousands of years. But then, in the, in the 1900s, um, you know, the brothers Wright, Orville Wright and his brother, were playing around with airplanes and powered flights and wings, and they started discovering some different laws um, called aerodynamics. And aerodynamics enabled things that were heavier than the air, once they learned the law, to, to get up in the air. And so it's a higher law. Now, there's, there's different laws. So every time you see an airplane now, that's how we live in this modern day and age, um, we see aerodynamics working. And aerodynamics has made the world small. It's enabled us to do things that we couldn't do when we were bound by the law of gravity. But if you uh, don't obey the laws of aerodynamics and you try to do what airplanes do, it won't work because gravity takes over. Now, it's exactly the same with the law of sin and death, natural law. It's been superseded by a higher law, a law that's eternal, a law that is, um, that, that, that is long-lasting and settled, and it works every time. It affects what is seen. See, what is seen, in fact, let's look at 2 Corinthians 4, verse 18, just to demonstrate what's, what the Scripture says about what I'm saying. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 18. Okay, so uh, verse 18 says, We consider and look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are visible. They're temporary, brief, and fleeting. But the things that are invisible are deathless and everlasting. And I've just made a note in my Bible here. I've said, they are real. What we don't see is real. I mean, you can, we can say, okay, there's TV signals in this room that we don't see. They're real. 
Because if you get a TV signal, a TV set, and get the right aerial, and you tune it in and get it set up properly, you'll pick up a channel and you'll be able to get the benefit of the signals that are in the air, or change channels, etc. Or radio signals, they're real. Or cell phone signals, they're real. But we don't see them. But they also are temporary, because they're subject to change and they will pass away. But the things of God are eternal. Now, we are eternal beings by the fact of our being born again. If we look at 1 Peter 1 verse 24, I I want you to see these things so that we know. You see, the word of God, Jesus said in John 6, 63, he said, the word I speak is spirit and life. So even though to some people this just seems like a lot of philosophy or good advice or whatever. It's not. The word of God is alive. So look at 1 Peter 1. Verse, let's go there. In fact, we'll look at 23. Verse 23. 1 Peter 1, verse 23. It says, You have been regenerated, born again, not from a mortal seed, but from one that is immortal, by the everlasting the ever-living and lasting word of God. So we've been born again of eternal seed. You see, in nature, God has revealed his attributes. And no one's here in the natural who hasn't been fertilized or conceived, fertilized and born. So that's how things just get brought forth. And it's exactly the same in the kingdom. We are born again of the eternal seed. And Jesus said in John 3 verse 6, He said to Nicodemus, he said, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of um, imperishable seed or spirit is spirit. We are spirit beings. Okay, so I I want us to be aware now, the spirit realm and the law of the spirit supersede natural law just as gravity has been superseded by aerodynamics. And these laws work every time. If you think of aerodynamics, we fly around the world. And uh, imagine if when the pilot was about to begin his uh, launch out into the air, you know, the takeoff, and he says to people, okay, right, you're all aboard, welcome aboard. I just want you people to pray, really pray this time that this law is going to work. Just pray this airplane's going to lift off. Just pray it works, you see. I don't think many of us will be flying for too long. But we don't do that. We sit back and we just allow the law of aerodynamics to work. So we know that if the thing, if it's obeyed, so there's the mechanical conditions are obeyed and the design conditions of lift and thrust and that are all obeyed, we're going to lift off. And we're going to be able to do things that in, in, in hours that would have taken other people years to do. Now it's the same in the realm of the spirit. It works every time if you obey the law of the spirit. And we're going to speak about how we do that, because it's important to do that for us to appropriate healing, you see. So that's what we want to do. So we are spirit beings, and we have got to operate in the spirit. And it's, it's in the spirit that healing is imparted, spirit to spirit, to our spirits. How do we receive the word of God? Yes, there's that aspect of um, when we hear the word of God, it, it fills our ears, it fills our thoughts, and then it drops into our heart. And that's when the word of God is dangerous. That's when it starts coming out of our mouth. And that's the rhema word of God. And that is the word that's living and active. Look what it says in Hebrews 4 verse 12 about the word of God. It's up there Okay, it says here, verse 12 says, The word that God speaks is alive and full of power, making it active, operative, energizing, and effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating to the dividing line of the breath of life, that soul and spirit. So there's only one way that we as spirit beings can know the word of God, and know who we are in Christ. That's by what he says. 
It's not discerned with your ears or with your understanding, your natural understanding, or with feelings or uh, by experience, natural experience. It's only understood by the Word of God. So in other words, the Word of God says some amazing things about us, and we're going to look at that. And people are going to think, no, that's not me. So if I was to say, say to you today, well, how many of you who are sitting here are perfect? I'm sure we wouldn't get too many hands saying, oh, I'm perfect. Yeah? Because then you, know, you could say, oh, you're proud. <laughs> no. When we take the word of God, we can say things that we don't feel fit us. So God says, you're perfect. And I'll show you. Go to Hebrews 10. While you're in Hebrews Okay, so what are we looking at here? Hebrews 10. Get back in there. Let's go to... Um, okay, so let's look at verse 10. Hebrews 10.10. Yeah, Hebrews 10.10, 10, and then we're going to read down. In fact, look at verse 7. Um, I just read these things, I just say, wow. It says here, Jesus, it says... This is what he said to the Lord. He says, Behold, here I am. I'm coming to do your will, O God, to fulfill what is written of me in the volume of the book. So what happened? Jesus actually picked up the scriptures. He read about himself, and he saw, he he got a revelation as a man. And you can read in Philippians 2 verse 7, it says he laid aside all his divinity and his... um, He humbled himself in the form of a man, so he was fully man. But he got hold of the scriptures, and he allowed them to show him who he was. So this, to us, is exactly the same. If we read the Bible and we look at it, it's telling us who we are. Okay, so look at that. So that's what happened um, with Jesus, and it's the same for us. We've got to look in this book and see who we are. But Let's go to verse 10 now. It says, In accordance with the will of God, we have been made holy, consecrated, and sanctified through the offering made once for all of the body of Jesus Christ. We have been made holy. So when people say, oh, God says you must be holy because I am holy. Well, we can say, yes, thank you, Lord. Of course we must be because you've made us holy. We are holy because he says so, not because you feel so. Okay, let's read down. It says here, let's look at verse 12. It says, Where is this one Christ, after he had offered a single sacrifice for our sins, that shall avail for all time, sat down at the right hand of God? Okay, so there's one sacrifice for sin. It's been offered. It's been accepted. It's done. Jesus is sitting down, never again to offer himself. It says, look at verse 14. For by a single offering, He has forever completely cleansed and perfected those who are consecrated and made holy. Whoops. Now, I've got to say, mind, you you bring in condemnation against me. You're saying, look what you did. Look what you did in the past. Well, that man's dead. But let's say it's it's now in in, in our, after our born-again state. I've got to say, no, I'm holy. I'm cleansed consecrated, I'm perfected. And people battle to accept that. But we have to accept these things because we are not going to be able to minister healing unless we're aware that we have been perfected and made holy. And the only way you can do that and see who you are and what you are is by the Word of God. The Word, the living, active Word that separates soul and spirit because it's your soul your mind your intellect your will your emotions remember what i spoke about that's what brings the condemnation that's where the war is it's in your mind it's not in your spirit and that's the part of us that um, it says in romans 12 uh, verse uh, verse 2 just quoting that it says you know be not conformed to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and it says that you may prove the perfect and pleasing will of God. So there is this process. What is the, the, the transformation process? 
It's learning your identity. You know, you think of babies uh, in the natural. I'm talking about natural-born babies. They, they want to know who they are. They want to know what things are for. So they have a, 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 a life of discovery in their, in their early years. You know, is this foot? Is this food? You know, they stick their foot in their mouth. Nah, I can't. Hey, that's a bit sore. You know, if you squeeze it too hard. No, I won't eat my foot. And they try sand and stones and anything they can get a hold of. Yeah, put them in the mouth. Everything goes in the mouth. But that's the discovery. Now, we've got to do the same in the natural. It, it says in, uh, in, in 1 Peter 2 and verse 2, it says, like newborn babes, it says, crave the milk, the milk of God's word. Crave it. Feed on it. Why is it? It, it still baffles my brain how babies, we've got one in our um, home church in, um, in England, and you watch this baby, and they, they put milk in, but somehow milk turns into muscle and bone and baby, and it's getting bigger and more intelligent and um, more alert. How does milk do that? Well, you know, you think, mystery. Well, that's exactly what happens with the milk of God's word conforms us to Christ. It molds us into his image. And as we learn in our identity, we've been changed. So that's what we are, spirit beings. We've been made holy. Um, there's just another one I'll show you. Ephesians 4 verse 23 would be a good place to look. Just to see what has happened to us. If only the church knew the inheritance in Christ. That who we are. We are glorious beings. You know that in, um, in 1 John 4, uh, verse 17, basically the end of that verse says, as he is the glorified Christ, the, the, so are we in this world. So when you look in the mirror, speak the word of God to yourself. Say, you are God's workmanship. You have been recreated in Christ for good works. You are holy. You are called. You are blessed. You know, in Ephesians 1 verse 3, it says, every blessing that there is, God has given us in Christ. Every blessing. That's why you can read any blessing anywhere in this, in this Bible. It's yours. And you can say, I am blessed. And whatever you needing at the time, you speak to yourself. So I used to look in the, in, in the mirror when I was battling with my health and I would say, do you know that the power of God quickens you? Romans 8.11 says, if the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he quickens you and restores to life your mortal uh, short-lived body. And we to appropriate that. How do we do it? We say in the mirror, hey, that's you. You are quickened. The Spirit of God lives in you. Do I feel it in the natural? No. Do I discern that I'm holy and pure and perfect and kind? I can't speak what I see and feel. That's why it says, look not to what is seen, but to what is unseen. Because God wants us to operate in the law of the Spirit of life. And as we do that, all these benefits will then come to us, spirit to spirit, and then start manifesting um, in the natural. So where was I going? Oh, yeah. Ephesians 4.23. 24 is actually the one I want. But this is what he says. Um, Paul writing to the Ephesians. He, he, he's not saying, look, it'll be a good idea to do this. As I read it here, he's saying, be. In other words, a command. Be constantly renewed in the spirit of your mind. And in brackets, it, it unpacks that. It says, having a fresh mental and a spiritual attitude to life. In other words, what does God say about things? What's happening in the spirit realm? What's happening in the law of the spirit in, in what I face? But look at verse 24. It says, put on the new nature created in God's image. I'm created in God's image. And it says, in true righteousness and holiness. That is the truth. We have been recreated in true righteousness and holiness. 
We are his body. We joined him. 1 Corinthians 6.17 says, and, and you know, there's, well, I'll quote Ephesians 5 first, and I'll quote that one. But in Ephesians 5 verse 31, it speaks about the mystery of a man leaving his mother and father and being joined to his wife and the two becoming one flesh. And that's about marriage and, and the marriage covenant. But it's, then Paul writes the very next verse. In fact, read it. It says here, it's verse 31, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is very great, but I speak concerning the relation of Christ and the church. And that's why I said speaking about one flesh and Christ and the church. And then in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 17 it says, if you join yourself to the Lord, you're one spirit with him. It's that same oneness. That's why the, the Bible speaks about Christ and his body. We are the body of Christ. We are um, still in Ephesians. And if we read gee, I, I don't know how, there's, there's just so much here. <laughs> there, there, Father, I just pray for words to unpack what it is. Um, I mean, this is holy, what we're talking about. Yeah, that's why the picture of marriage is holy. It's Christ and the church. One spirit. One flesh in the natural. One spirit in the spirit realm. So I'll just pick, uh, there's so much here that's important in terms of what I'm saying about who we are. But this is what it says. When, when, when God raised Jesus, if we look at verse 20, it, it speaks about the power of God which raised Jesus from the dead and seated him in the heavenly places at his right hand. And it's, he, Jesus is seated far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, Every name that is named, whether it's a disease, whether it's a lack, whether it's the bank manager's report, whether it's the school report, no matter what it is, the Lord is above that. He's far above every name, every title that can be conferred, not only in this age and in this world, but in the age and the world which are to come. And he, that's God, has put all things under Jesus' feet, and appointed him the universal and supreme head of the church. Okay? And it says, which is his body. I'm reading verse 23 of Ephesians 1. Which the church is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all with himself. It says, for in that body lives the full measure of him who makes everything complete and who fills everything everywhere with himself. His body. And it says, and he, if you go across to verse 6 of chapter 2, it says he's raised us up together with him and given us joint seating with him in the heavenly sphere by virtue of our being in Christ Jesus. So here we are. Jesus is above every single thing that exists. We his body. Now, Last time I looked, my feet were part of my body. And even the skin on the bottom of my feet is part of my body. So the least, the least in the body of Christ is higher than anything because Jesus has been raised up and it says that all these things, the titles, the powers, whatever it is, it says he has put all these things under his feet. So we're above. So what are we? We are Christ, members, each one, on the earth. So when you think Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we were looking last night at the, the, the will of God for healing, and Jesus is the same, and he was going around, and Acts 10.38 is a good example of that. It says how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power, how he went around doing good and healing 
all who were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. Well, Jesus is alive and in us. So is healing a problem? No. Nope. And, and look at the power. Here, still in Ephesians 1. This is Paul saying, I pray. So you, you've got to say, God, be it unto me as, you, as, as you've spoken. That's who I am because you've said it. That's what I've got because you've said it. I'm a member of Christ. I'm, I'm, I'm part of his body. So it says here, Paul prays for, for the Ephesians. And you can take that prayer for you as well. He says, I pray that, you may, uh, that God may grant you a spirit of wisdom and revelation, of insight into mysteries and secrets in the deep and intimate knowledge of him by having the eyes of your heart flooded with light. And remember we looked in uh, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 18 and said, look not to what is seen. So here, God has given us the key of how we look to something we can't see in the natural. We can see it in the eyes of our heart. There's different ways you can interpret that. It's the eyes of your understanding. It's the eyes of your um, imagination. It's the eyes... um, Basically of your spirit that you can see. That's why we're told, look, look to see. Jesus says in John 5, 19, I do nothing lest I see the Father doing it. He looks to see. So he's praying that our eyes will be opened. And, you know, when you, when you look at the, the parable of the sower in, in Matthew 13, um, Jesus is explaining they're saying, well, why do you talk to people in parables? The disciples ask him. And he says, because they have eyes to see, but they do not see. And they have ears to hear, but they do not hear. And so we've got to be looking. So it's the eyes of the imagination. So, and by looking, then we can start using the pictures that the word has given us. We can start seeing. So how does that work? I could say to you right now, um, imagine a, a pink dog with black spots. You can all do it. Not so. Because I've, I've given you a thought. And some of you might see a big one, some might see a little one, a log, because I wasn't that specific. But you can do it. Now, what happens with Scripture is when God says you're holy, you're righteous, you're pure, you're true, as, as he is, so are you in this world. And then you start looking at how he is. You can go to Revelation 4, verse 5 which describes the throne room. You can read the the first uh, couple of chapters in Revelation, which describe how Jesus appears, you know, with uh, the face, his face is shining like the sun and all this. Now use your imagination and say, Lord, help me to see you. And you imagine what the words are saying. Because then you're using the scriptures. And this is exactly how it works in healing. Because you look, it says, by stripes you were healed. And you look to see what does healing look like. Anyway, let me read on here. So he's praying that uh, we will have the eyes of our imagination flooded with light so we can know and understand the hope to which he has called you. And it says, so you can know and understand the immeasurable, unlimited, surpassing greatness of his power to and for us who believe. So that power is both in us and it's for us to release out. And that's why Jesus said in John 7, verse 37, 38, he said, Whosoever believes in me from his innermost being shall flow continuously springs and rivers of living water. And it says, then it says he spoke here of the Holy Spirit who they were afterward to receive. This power is ours now. It's in us. And it says this power was demonstrated when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realm. You have resurrection power in you. So you don't have to worry when you're laying hands on the sick about power. It's in you. We've just got to learn how to access it and how to release it. And that's what we're going to do after lunch today. We're going to talk more about the power. But I'm just saying, see yourself as the Bible describes you. If you go to 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. Okay, you there? It says here, 
all of us, as with unveiled face, because we continue to behold in the word of God, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are constantly being transfigured into his very own image in ever-increasing splendor. Now that word transfigured is used three times in the Bible. One is Romans 12, uh, verse 2, where it says, be, con- not, be not conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. It's the same word, trans- transfigured. And the Greek is metamorphoso, which means it's a total change, like a butterfly coming out of a cocoon when it went in a worm. It's just totally different. And that's the process that's happening to us in our souls. Okay, so as we look in the Word, so you go and the, the mirror of God's Word is, 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 is different to the mirror in the bathroom. Because in the mirror in the bathroom, you go and you have a look and you say, oh yeah, I need to brush my hair or I need to shave or I need to put my lipstick on if you're a woman or oh dear, look, that's smudged, my eyebrows are smudged or something, and, and you fix them up. Now, what happens when you look in the mirror of God's word? You look in the mirror and you see this perfect, perfect being looking back at you. And you say, wow, what is that? Who is that? And basically God's saying, that's you, son. That's you, daughter. That's who you are. And as you look at it, you actually become it. Rather than in the natural mirror, you've got to do some work to, to try and improve what you see so that you can uh, get out and be respectable in the world. Yeah? Whereas when you look in God's uh, mirror, it says you are constantly being transfigured into his own image in ever-increasing splendor from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And the word of God is spirit. So that's how you receive and how you conformed and how you start growing in Christ. We we come as little children, then we become young men, then we become, um, you know, like sort of strong young men, and then we become fathers. And that's for everyone. Ladies too. You can be fathers in God. Because it's speaking about not the sex of a father. It's speaking about what a father represents. That's what we're to be, you see. We're to grow up into Christ. So that's how we appropriate. But this works exactly the same for, for healing. Now, when we talk about healing, there's different ways God heals. God heals by the word. You can read in Psalm 107 verse 20, where it speaks about how there was people that were deranged in their thinking. It says they, they, they started dying and grew close to death. And it says, but God sent his word and he healed them. So as they meditated on the word, that word works in you. Just so as it transforms you, it works in you to manifest and bring what it carries. Because the word that God speaks is living and active. Sharper than a two-edged sword. It's powerful. It's medicine. Look at um, Proverbs 4. And we'll look from verse 20. I want us to tap into the supernatural aspect here. Because this is spirit that I'm talking about. Grab it. Proverbs 4 verse 20. This is, as Heather showed you, healing's right through the Bible. It's Old Testament or Old Covenant. It's New Covenant. But this is what um, uh, is written here. So verse 20, where is it? Okay, here. It says, My son, attend to my words. And the King James, I like the way it says, incline your ear unto my sayings. It's like, you know, if you're in a noisy room, or you're you're doing something, you're busy, you can still incline your ear. It's like you lean forward if you're in a noisy restaurant to hear what the other person is saying. That's what it's saying. Incline your ear unto my sayings. Um, Let them, then verse 21, let them not depart from your sight. Keep them in the center of your heart. And that's what Paul writes in Colossians 3 verse 2. He says, Fix your minds on the things that are above. Why? Because they're life. 
Why? Because they're building you up. Why? Because they're transfiguring you. They're changing you into the image of God. And if you're sick, they're changing you into the abundant life that God has for you. Jesus said, I've come that you have life and have it in abundance. So it says, let them not depart from your sight. Keep them in the center of your heart. How, did, how does the word of God get into your heart? It, it, it's, it's in your eyes. It's in your thoughts. It fills your thoughts and it drops down in your heart. And it's at that point it will start coming out your mouth. So it says, keep them in the center of your heart for they are life to, to all who find them. Healing and health to all their flesh. The word of God is healing just by the fact that it's the word of God. And as you take it in, and it might not make sense to you, but you just keep thinking, what does that mean? What does that mean? You you ask the Lord for the spirit of wisdom and revelation, which is exactly what Paul prayed in Ephesians 1, starting in verse 17. What does that mean? What does it mean? And understanding comes because the spirit is with us. So the word is health and healing to all their flesh. So I'm speaking now about the sons of God. We got a question that said, why is it so hard to get healing for ourselves? But when we pray for others, they get healed. Because God wants us to start growing up. You know what happens when, when you've got little children? You tie their shoelaces, you choose them. Well, even earlier, you've got to change them and do their nappies and all the rest and wash them and bathe them and feed them. And then, but as they go through the process, and then it's, you've got to tie their shoes and you've got to show them what clothes to wear and what to eat and what not to eat. And as they get a little bit bigger, you say to them, okay, go and get those clothes or go and get these clothes. They start doing things for themselves. And they start growing more and more and more and more. And eventually they're assuming more and more responsibility. So you don't want a 16-year-old uh, son or daughter saying, oh, please dress me or feed me or... You know, take me to the toilet. You think, no, that's not right. Now, it's the same in God. He's expecting us to grow up and to take the word because he tells us, eagerly desire the milk, and by the milk you will grow, and then we've got to get to a place where we can eat solid food, and that's the meat it speaks about in Hebrews 5. And the, the children, you, you want them on solids, and then you want them to, to eat their vegetables and eat whatever meat they're going to eat, and then they're going to grow up. Then you want them to be able to know and understand what is good food and what is bad food, what is junk, and you want them to know things. Now, God wants us to know for ourselves how to appropriate what he's given us. See, what has happened is he's given us an inheritance. If we go to, let's go to Ephesians 1. He wants us to grow up. He wants us to say, hey, what is this inheritance? What is it that we got? What is it that we can do? So, I mean, we do a a course, um, and it's it's, uh, who I am, what I I have, what I can do. And we just go through the scriptures and show people who they are, what they have, and what they can do. See, if if we read Ephesians 1... um, Verse 3 is exciting because that's where it says God has blessed us with every blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. So everything is ours. We've got to learn how to access it. It's like if you've got a child and you leave them an inheritance, um, it's in the bank and the lawyers maybe or some trustees are looking after this inheritance and it's safe. They can't access it because they're not of age. They don't know how. And this is what it says of us. It says, verse 4, of Ephesians 1. It says, In his love, he picked us out for himself uh, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy, consecrated, set apart, and blameless before him. He foreordained, verse 5, and predestined for us to be adopted as his own children through Jesus Christ. Okay, and if you look at um, verse 11, uh, uh, you, that, all that you can read through that. It's just amazing. There's no mistakes. We've chosen. In him we were made God's portion, and we obtained an inheritance. For we have been foreordained, chosen, and appointed in accordance with his purpose, who works out everything in agreement with the counsel and design of his own will. 
So we have an inheritance. But how do we ever access it if we never learn it, how to do it? And part of our inheritance for ourselves is healing. It's sozo, salvation. It's the fullness of healing. So for believers, they've got to learn to lay a hold of that for which God laid a hold of them. We have to get our hands on the stuff. So we've got to learn that process. So first step is to learn who you are and, and, and read this Bible. This is not a set of rules. Don't do this, do do that. You know, oh, stay away from this and I don't like that. And No, this is your identity document and it's your inheritance. It's God in his love. He's saying, son, he said, you know, you're a king and you're a priest. You're, you're a new creation. You know, what, you know what kings do? This is what kings do. This is how kings think. This is how kings draw down what is theirs. This is who you are and this is what you can do and what you got. And when you read the Bible like that, and it's not a set of rules, so you, it says there, oh, in your anger do not sin. Oh, right. That means kings, uh, kings have got to be careful when they get angry because they can sin. And what is sin? That's missing the mark because the Bible says God is love and as he is, so am I. So I'm love. So if I start moving against the law of love, if you want to call it that, or the principles of love, that's God's love. You can read all about his love in 1 Corinthians 13. But when I start acting contrary to that, I'm missing the mark. I'm not being who he's called me to be. So I just look at it and I say, oh, right, I'm love. So the way I appropriate that and put it on is I will say, I am patient, I am kind, I am long-suffering. I do not repay wrong with wrong. I always think the best because I am the same as my father and my father's love. I am love. I'm born of his seed. I'm love. You see, as you speak that, it sounds like you're just giving yourself a whole lot of self-talk. But what you're talking is the word of God. You're green with the word of God and it's working on you. And guess what? Love just starts to ooze out of you. It just, uh, it, the Spirit of God, the Spirit is the Word. He just sheds that love. He gives you love. It's effortless. So our inheritance is the same thing. We appropriate like that. That's how, I, as a believer, I will appropriate healing. So what am I going to do? I'm going to look and see what the Bible says about healing. And we can look at some of that now that we know we're spirit beings. And we know how to appropriate. And we become health. We become life in abundance. Our bodies literally will be younger. The Bible says you know, that uh, this is a blessing. If you read Psalm 103, David just speaking. It's one of the blessings. He says, praise the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits. And he rattles them off. You know? He forgives all my sin and iniquities. He heals all my diseases. He crowns my life with compassion. That's the love. He renews my youth like that of an eagle. It's there. Say, thank you. And Anne's our example. I must say, I used to say, my ambition in life is to live forever. or die trying. But in God, we never die. Praise God. Praise God. So, Okay, let's just narrow this down now to healing for the believer. Okay, so we'll look at other ways God heals in the scriptures, but let's talk about healing for the believer. Let's go to Romans 8.11. Healing for the believer. The the first one for me was what we've looked at already was um, Proverbs 4, verse 20 and 22, where it says, you know, Attend to my words, incline your ears unto my sayings. Let them not depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. God is healer. So as you're absorbing God, and God is the word, Jesus is the word. You can read in the beginning of John 1 where it says the word became flesh. And the word is spirit. That's what Jesus said in John 6:63. So literally, it comes in and it affects us. But look at Romans 8, 11 now. It says here, If the spirit of him 
who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised up Jesus Christ from the dead will also restore to life your mortal, short-lived, perishable bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. What's more plain than that? Thank you, Father. Your Spirit lives in me. And he quickens me. That's the same word that says God quickened Jesus when he raised him from the dead. He quickens me and restores to life. Thank you, Father. Your Spirit's quickening my body. Thank you, Father. Body, receive it right now. Whether I feel it or not, the Word said it. That's the truth. It is, because the Word said it is. You see, when, when it comes to these things, something that you have to settle is, what do you believe? Because many people, if you say, oh, well, the Bible says the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. I take it as fact because it, it doesn't say if you believe or if you're good or if something like, uh, you know, you do this or that and please God, then you will be quickened. It doesn't. It says if Christ lives in you, and he does, because we have received Christ when we have confessed him as Lord and we've believed in our hearts, confessed with our mouths that, that, that God raised him from the dead. And... Um, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. You get joined to Christ. He lives in you. So it says, if Christ lives in you, if the spirit of him, sorry, who raised, I'm reading 10, verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Christ, Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised up Christ Jesus from the dead will restore to life your mortal, short-lived, perishable bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So I tell my body, I say, body, you are quickened every moment of every day because the one, the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead is in you. So you are quickened. Speak it over your body. You know, you can speak to your body. There was um, a few years ago, I was having gout. I don't know if anyone here has ever had gout. It is the most horrific, painful thing. So... That's a pain that screams and says, here I am, here I am, you know. You know, bow to me. <laughs> you, you do want to even, almost. And um, I woke up in the, the middle of the night once and I was having gout in my foot. And the weight of the, uh, the duvet on my foot as I turned had just sent such pain shooting through me that it woke me up. And I woke up and then it was like the Spirit of God just, just came out of me because the word of God is in me. And that, it's that word. That's the rhema word. And I said, don't worry, foot. You are healed. By his stripes, you were healed. You are healed. And, and then I said, that's just pain. It's just symptoms. You healed. And I, I think I laughed out loud at the pain in derision. And I woke up that morning I'm uh, perfect, no gout. Sometimes we'll go on for days, if not weeks. And I've never had gout again, ever, because I laughed at you know, laughed and screamed. Read Psalm 1. The Lord just laughs in scorn at his enemies. And what these things come to do, what sickness does, is it tries to convince you that the word of God is not true. That's basically what these afflictions and troubles and persecutions and things that we go through are coming to do. They're trying to say it's not true. It's not working. And we've just got to say, no, it's working. I choose to believe it's true. Jesus said it's true. In John 7 verse 17, he says to 17 verse 17, he says, he says, Father, thy word is truth. He said it. I believe it. Now, what is believing as against faith? Because there's always this thing, oh, well, you didn't have the faith to get healed. That's not true. Because believing is a choice that we make. So in other words, I can choose to believe something. So I could tell you a story, say, well, we were putting the chairs out this morning. We noticed two or three of them have got some serious cracks in the legs. You know, I don't know if it's going to hold you up for all day. Now that can throw a bit of doubt in your head and you can start checking your chair out and, and all the rest. But it, you might say, oh, nonsense, he's just joking. He wouldn't want us to fall down and hurt ourselves. And you, you would choose to believe in the goodness of, of, of my heart, you see. That's a choice. Or if I told you a story and I, I came in here and I said, 
Okay, um, I've won the lotto. Well, you shouldn't be, you know, I, I used this example once. I had religious people say to me, you shouldn't be gambling. and You shouldn't even talk about the lotto in church. And <laughs> You wouldn't tear your hair out at some people. Anyway, so let's say I won the lotto. And I came in here and I said, well, I've won the lotto. I got about 300 million. Uh, I'm feeling pretty blessed at the moment. <laughs> and, um, and then I said, okay, they, uh, I want to give five of you. Um, 10 million each. So now, <laughs> okay, so I'm going to show you that how, how, how uh, believing, how hope, and how faith work. So you can believe me. You can believe, yeah, he did win the lottery, that's right. And you can, or you might say, no, he doesn't tell um, lies. You can go and research, go and look in the newspaper. John Alcock has won 300 million and yes. he's our lotto winner this, <laughs> this month or whatever. And I'm saying, okay, I come to church and I say, okay, I want to give five of you 10, 10 million each. And what will happen is immediately you're going to go, mm, oh, there's about 30 people here. So I've got a one in six chance. I hope, I hope he chooses me. I hope. See how good news brings hope. Okay? It's the first step to faith. That's hope. I hope he chooses me. But hope is not, there's no substance in it. It's, it's just still, it's hope now. And then I say, okay, actually no, I'm going to give every single one in this room 10 million. Now suddenly you've changed from hope to faith because you've believed I've won it um, and you believe I mean what I'm going to say. So you think, wow, 10 million, isn't that fantastic? So now you've moved to a place of faith. There's substance in this thing. You know you're going to get it. And you're so sure in that, you're already spending it in your head. Yeah, well, I'm going to pay the house off, and then I'm going to, I'm going to buy a new car because my old one's a bit clapped and need a, need an overseas holiday. And wow, it's going to be great. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, you've taken ownership of that money already. It's yours. Okay, that's how faith is, because we see the good news, the gospel's good news, and then we can hope, gee, Lord, it says that you, 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 you're the healer and you heal people. Will you heal me? I hope you heal me. And then suddenly you start discovering more. Actually, it's my inheritance. It's for everyone. Everyone's going to get what, what God has promised. Everyone is going to get what I've promised in the room. And you see, the Bible defines faith in Hebrews 11 verse 1. It says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. And when, when you get like human faith, I'm saying, you're going to get 10 million each. You're already, it's so real. You're spending it. You've got it in your mind. And you're already allocating where it's going to go and what you're going to do with it. And if I said, okay, line up on the wall. Um, I'm, I've got my checkbook. Do you still use checks here? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Amazing. Well, there were let's say there's still checks. I'm going to write you each a check. And you line up on the wall and you're excited as you stand in the queue. You've got nothing. You, 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 you've just got the, the word, the promise that you, you're going to get 10 million. You already spent it. You know what you're going to do with it. And you get that money and, or you get that check. You still haven't got money because it says on there, I promise to pay the bearer or whatever. And that's what God's promises are. If you appropriate this and this and this, it's yours. And it takes time for the money to, to, to get transferred to you. It's exactly the same with the things of God. Our faith, you see, faith is different to belief because when you believe something, uh, when it comes to the things of God, you like open your ears, you receive the word. And the word itself, we've just said, is spirit and life. The word brings the power of faith, which settles in your heart, and you know it's yours with certainty. So don't confuse believing and faith. So it's the same thing with faith or believing for healing. Jesus says the power of God is in and for us who believe, not who have faith. So... I believe the word of God. And the word of God says, I'm going to lay hands on the sick and they will recover. I believe it. And because I believe it, that signs follow the word, 
the faith, the substance is there as well. But if you don't believe, you shut your ears and you become one of those who hear without hearing. So, yeah, the word says, if the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he will restore to life your bodies. You need to take that as a believer. You don't need someone laying hands on you the whole time. That's for children. That's for the babies who are still sucking the, the, the milk. And that's why sometimes when you're freshly born again, it's so easy to get healed. I know we had many healings. Um, and then it seems to get harder and harder. Um, and I was talking about this last case where I tripped over, or last night I was talking about it, I tripped over um, my son-in-law's parquet flooring because it was loose. And, I don't know, something popped up as I was, the one popped the other one up because they were all lying there loose. And I tripped and I smashed my knee on the hard bit of the parquet where it wasn't loose. And um, it just swelled up. And that was two days before I was going to do a, a healing talk. Now, I had to appropriate that healing, that, that recovery, so that I could go and, and minister. And that wasn't easy because the pain was trying to convince me that I wasn't healed. So then, oh, your, your knee is so sore. You can't walk. How can you do a... These are the thoughts that are coming to How can you do a healing meeting? You know, you're meant to be doing ministering to others. And I just said, no, this knee is healed. I said, Father, I thank you. I receive healing right now. And I thank you. It's mine. I draw down from that bank account. Just like you take your 10 million and you draw down what you need when you need it. We draw down from the bank account of God. Remember, it's an inheritance. And it's like we have this bank account in heaven. And we go and we say, Father, I thank you for your provision for me. I need that healing. And you take it. You can ask him anything according to his will. Look here in, in, in 1 John 5, verse 14. This is how you draw down healing. I'm rambling, but I'm trying to get things across. Is it making sense to some of you? Look at 1 John 14. It says, this is the confidence, the privilege of boldness, it says in in the Amplified, um, which we have in him. We are sure if we ask anything according to his will, in agreement with his plan, he listens to and hears us. Now, if you imagine you you went to your bank account because you had an inheritance from your natural father, and you went in there and and, and you said, uh, oh, I'd like to draw 5,000 rand. You're actually not really saying, I would like to, or please will you give me something. You're saying, look, I've got money in there, it belongs to me, and I want some now. That's what you're saying, really. That we couch it kind of um, politely. Britishly, yes. Please, please would you give me some, some of my own, very own money. No, we, do, we say, please, can I have 5,000 rand? And the teller will say, have you got funds yeah, in your account? And they'll go, nowadays, and they'll look. But if you haven't got funds, and you try and draw 5,000 rand, they, they're going to throw you out. They're going to say, sorry, we can't give you that money. You've got no funds. And it's now with God, it's the same thing. If you ask for things that he hasn't given you, he's going to say, no, sorry, I, I haven't given you that. But the fantastic thing is everything's ours. But find a basis in the word. Okay, so this is what it says. It says, this is the confidence, the boldness we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, uh, in agreement with his plan, he listens to and hears us. And since we know that he listens to us in whatever we ask, we also know with absolute knowledge it has been granted us as our present possessions. So he grants us what we ask. He gives it to us because we ask according to his will. So that's why it's important to know what his will is, to know what your inheritance is. Because you can't go to the bank and draw something that's not in your inheritance. If, if your natural father has put an allocation there for your university fees or whatever, and it's time to pay your fees, you go to the, maybe the attorney and say, look, it's time to pay my fees. I'd like to draw that down. It's mine and pay the fees. And it'll, it'll happen. 
That's the same thing with God. We ask according to his will. That's why it's important to know what is his will for healing. What is his will for healing me or you each individually? What is his will for healing others? What is his will you know, for healing non-believers? And it's all laid out in the word as you study it. In Mark 16, for instance, as regards unbelievers, because that's a question that came up, it says, these signs will follow those who believe. Uh, in my name, it says, they will cast out devils, they will lay hands sick on the sick people, and they will recover. It doesn't say they will lay hands on the sick. And if they believe, and if they've confessed their sin and forgiven their mother-in-law and their, uh, and their brother, and uh, if they've dealt with resentment, then I will heal them. It doesn't say that. It's the goodness and kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And that's how people get saved. Jesus would heal all, all the crowds. So don't worry about, is it the will of God to heal? So you can ask for healing for others, whether they're believers or not. But the best way for a believer to get healed is to draw, to take full responsibility for their lives in God and to draw down healing on the basis that the Spirit of God is in us and he quickens and he restores. And by his stripes, look at 1 Peter 2 verse 20, 24, is it? 1 Peter 2, 24. It says, this is a promise to us. It says, he personally bore our sins in his body on the tree as, as if on an altar and offered himself on it that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, or some translations say by his stripes, you have been healed. So healing's done. It's like someone paid your house off, but you insist on still paying your mortgage every month or your bond, as you call it here. You just don't do it. Jesus has paid the price. We can say, Father, thank you. Uh, from my inheritance, I've, 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 I've hurt my knee or this has happened to me. I thank you. I just receive that healing. I draw it down right now. Now the process of receiving... Shall we stop for tea and then we just talk about the process of taking it?